Just stop it. The run-of-the-mill, cheesy, humdrum bullshit status quo just tires me out. What fascinates me are the industry disruptors, the superhuman frontiersmen or women who go through hell to achieve their goals. Join me as we meet and learn from those mavericks, rebels, and business leaders that aren't afraid to piss off the establishment in order to make radical change for good. Sponsored by Johto PR, the disruptive anti-PR firm that murders your competition with cinder blocks and cyanide. This is Disruption Interruption. Welcome back, everybody, to Disruption Interruption. I'm your host, KJ Helms, and we're here today to talk to another disruptor that has steered off the lame, tired path of the status quo. Today's guest has disrupted the startup scene a few times in his career in India and emerging markets. Now he's disrupting and transforming the client onboarding experience globally. We're talking to him today because while the client onboarding process is intended to establish customer relationships that are long-lasting and mutually beneficial, it is woefully lacking. Please welcome our disruptor, co-founder at Rocket Lane, Sri Krishnan Ganesan. Hello. Thanks, Carla. Thanks for having me on today. Yes, thank you. Thank you very much for being on today. I am very interested to get into this client onboarding experience because while it sounds so mild and tame, it has everything to do with the success of a company, especially fast growing startups. It could really make or break a sales, all sales efforts, right? So So before we get into that, I want you to tell our audience, what is your number one main ingredient for disruption? I think it's uh, about developing deep perspective or deep understanding of a domain, which, you know, then sparks something like an insight that helps you go off that path, try something different, which which can really resonate with the people that you're trying to help with your offering. So a deep um, understanding of a domain. That makes total yeah, sense. It, it could be about figuring out like a dimension to a product that others didn't know matters. It could be about saying, hey, you know what, a customer may prioritize A over B and all along people may be looking at it a different way. Or it could be, you know, understanding the jobs to be done of the person whose life you're trying to make better and crafting a thoughtful experience, which maybe others missed out on. Right. Well, that goes along with your career, right? Because you have been successful at working with and selling several companies, right? And in that particular life cycle, you have experienced the woes of client onboarding. Is that right? Absolutely. I think in my previous venture, which eventually got acquired by a company called Freshworks, we we were disrupting the way customers engaged with businesses through messaging inside apps. And while we were doing that, we realized that while we were onboarding our customers, which included like huge um, multinational companies uh, across the globe, they were having trouble getting onboarded on our simple product. Uh, They would often be in a situation where they don't know why they're stuck, where they're stuck, we wouldn't have full visibility into what was happening. And, you know, it sort of made things clear to us that something was amiss over here. No one had the right visibility. We were using too many tools and information was spread across all of them. And it didn't feel like a customer-centric experience for that first partnership that the company was having with us. I think that's the key thing that you just said right there. It didn't feel like a customer-centric experience. 
I have found uh, in talking to many disruptors and technologists that especially since COVID and different things that are at our fingertips as consumers, that the demand for a customer-centric experience has really escalated, right? To the point to where any hitch is just really perceived as being intolerable. Is that right? Yeah, I would say we, we do all try to build businesses which are customer-centric. We believe we are prioritizing the customer. But sometimes in optimizing our processes, we are doing things that are more inward looking and it can be very frustrating for customers. I think pre-pandemic and post-pandemic, it's probably been similar to some extent, but yeah, I hear you that there's, there's probably some increased frustration when things are happening remote and you don't have visibility into how things are going and you don't feel prioritized, it, it can make things worse. Yes. So let's talk about this. Like, you're starting this company and developing this whole platform based off of the consumer and the client experience, right? Give me the status quo as far as what is the client onboarding experience like currently? How disparate is it? What's happening? What are the statistics? What are clients, what are companies losing in regards to this? You know, inability to utilize the, the software that they're getting onboarded for. Can, give me some data. Yeah, I think today the way things work, it's very hit or miss, right? So you would find that in most cases, so a company would say, hey, we have a four-week onboarding process or a six-week onboarding process. But in like 60% of the cases, they would be eight weeks into that four-week process, right? So things are typically delayed. You would find that there's a lot of chaos and there's a lot of you know lack of people being on the same page, primarily because I think information is across different places, right? So you have typically a spreadsheet which has a list of tasks that's floating around back and forth. There are emails going back and forth as well between you know the customer and your team setting out status updates and so on. There's work that's also emerging from documents that you're collaborating on. And then to add to the confusion, there are shared Slack channels where people are DMing each other as well. No visibility to you know, the rest of the team. So this is the pain, right? So there's things happening everywhere in pieces. Someone's going to drop the ball somewhere and it happens, right? Yeah, well, it sounds to me like chaotic communication, right? I, I don't think it's ill intent at all, but you're talking about uh, doubling the length of the onboarding process, probably disparate apps and different collaboration tools, point of sharing, document storage, email, Slack, Teams, you name it, right? Absolutely. And, and think about the plight of like a business leader who wants to know what's happening with this large customer that you're onboarding. <laughs> Where do they go and check? Right? Should I open a spreadsheet? Should I search for the right email? Should I follow something on Slack? It's just all over the place. Right. And what is this doing to the production and economic output of these companies? Like, how is this hindering them? Is there a percentage of new sales that they lose? Churn based off of, you know, clients dropping off? Yeah, actually, this is the number one reason for churn is bad onboarding, right? And it doesn't have to result in churn during onboarding. You may go through the process too, 
But you remember that in SaaS, every year the customer is making a decision whether they're going to purchase you again or not, right? right? And even though you're set up eventually, if you had like a bad taste of that first partnership, maybe you know you're already thinking about, hey, should I continue to work with this vendor? Are they capable of engaging me the right way? Are, are they capable of growing with us as we grow? So all those doubts creep in. And at the first opportunity, you're going to churn. Or maybe you never even got to seeing value from the product because guess what? People lost interest, didn't adopt the solution because things were delayed and out of control. So from what we've seen, the biggest you know impact comes in is your customer success team that comes in after the onboarding. Are they going to be able to have a offensive strategy, focus on expansion from get-go? Or are they going to be on the back foot when they come in, right? Are they going to have to be defensive, focus on churn, focus on like keeping that customer? And that's largely determined by how well your onboarding goes. If you did a great job, they can focus on expansion. If you did a sloppy job, they are forced to build credibility all over again with the customer. Yes. So it's constantly a, a position of being reactive or proactive in this particular aspect. So it's the number one reason for churn. That's a big economic waste. We all know keeping clients is much more profitable than having to obtain new ones, even though all client, all companies should obtain new blood. But you want to retain, Absolutely. right? Yes. And, and I think when you, when you look at the broader picture, it's not just for your company. There's, of course, the churn that you're thinking of and expansion versus churn. But even from the customer's perspective, they spent so much energy in choosing you as a vendor. They had a big initiative to, you know, make more money or save costs using your software. And guess what? If that initiative fails for whatever reason, if you didn't do a good job onboarding them, then that's economic loss as well. So I think in a sense, I've seen a stat that, you know, 70% of, you know, digital transformation initiatives fail. I'm sure a huge part of that Failure is attributable to a sloppy onboarding. 70% of digital transformation fails. That's fascinating. Yes, I, I agree with you on the onboarding part. So what are the main, you've listed some of them, right? But when you developed Rocket Lane, right? You developed this innovation. What are the main pain points that this solves for client onboarding? I think the first key pain point I would say is bringing that lack of visibility that existed, we want to like remove that, right? So how do we uh, bring to the fore what's happening across each onboarding project that's ongoing in your company? How do we give you that 30,000 feet view very easily where you understand not just what's the status as reported by a project manager, you also understand what's the sentiment of the customer around how things are going. So that's one key pain point that we try to address. The next would be consistent delivery, right? So you're running these projects, you want to do it the right way with each customer. You want to follow a series of steps. You don't want to drop the ball on any of it. So we have a very deep templating capability, which helps over there. The third is really streamlining the collaboration that happens, right? So we if you're using multiple tools for each part of document collaboration versus conversations versus status updates and overall project tracking, then obviously it's hard to stay on top of everything. We bring it all together in one place, one unified experience. There is a beautiful customer portal branded by you as well. 
and that helps, right? So that helps for a customer to stay on top of all that's happening, access all the documents, meeting notes, status updates in one place. All your notifications get unified as well. So you're not having to stay on top of multiple tools. And likewise for your team, right? So as a vendor, when you want to see what's happening across projects and all the notifications, customer inputs, what's overdue, all of it comes in one place across documents, conversations, as well as tasks. Got it. That sounds like a beautiful thing. It's almost too simple. <laughs> Isn't the, the simplest thing is always the best. You said something that was really very interesting to me is what is the sentiment of the client? I think a lot of times companies get lost in the deliverables and the timing of that and keeping things consistent and looking at the ROI from the internal perspective, but it's really also managing client expectations, right? So this particular aspect of the sentiment of the client, how do you do that? Yeah, uh, you know, it's a friend of mine calls some of these projects watermelon projects, which are green on the outside, but red on the inside. It's very common where you have project managers thinking, hey, things will come back to, things will fall in place. So you're slightly delayed, but you're thinking we'll make up for it later. Things aren't going exactly the way they should, but you feel, hey, the customer hasn't outraged about it yet. We are under control. We'll fix things. And that's the mistake, right? So you don't recognize a three-on-five experience as being different from a five-on-five. You will know if it's one-on-five or two-on-five because someone's going to escalate. But three or four stars or five stars, you don't get to know early. What we do is instead of you sending out a survey after the whole implementation is done, but it's too late to change anything in the experience. We have a native capability where at key milestones through the customer journey, let's say you did a workshop with the customer, you did a kickoff meeting with the customer, you did a training session with the customer. For all of those key moments in the journey, you can set it up so that there is an automated CSAT that goes out to the customer. They get to rate the experience they had, Uber style, like a five-star rating and a comment, right? So we made it very simple. It's not a complex survey. So the completion rate is very high as well. And you truly get to understand the sentiment as a result, right? So you know that, hey, training is where we're consistently getting rated three on five. We need to do something to change that up. Or this particular person is always getting like a, a lower rating on kickoff or someone is getting a five every time. So they're doing something to wow the customer. What can we learn from there and apply across our team? Right. So those are the things that this helps with. And it's just about making that survey in line with the project at the right moments and making it easy for them to get to it right from their email or when they visit this customer portal that, that we've built. That's beautiful. This seems like such common sense. And when I talk to disruptors that are innovating things, they are doing things that are just basic common sense. And sometimes we don't even know that this doesn't exist in certain industries, right? We think, well, obviously this is the way it should be. Why is this considered so disruptive today? Sure, I think uh, sometimes the product that you build is a function of the starting point or the first problem you try to solve, right? And in a lot of project management tools, right? These started off as internal focused tools. They were trying to solve their own project management issues. And that's how every project management product I know, whether it's Asana or ClickUp or you know, Smartsheets, 
most of the project tools were built first for an internal facing use case. And then you layer on additional capabilities like, hey, you know what, you can invite customer into a project and so on. So in that sense, I think the origin of the company and the product uh, is different from our origin, right? So our origin or starting point is thinking about customer facing projects. And we come from a world of customer service. My previous product was in the messaging space for customer support where it was very natural to think about things like, hey, this message is internal. The customer shouldn't see it. It's like private notes while I'm engaging with the customer. Hey, after I finish this conversation with the customer, I want a CSAT rating to come in. So we have taken some of those ideas from the customer-facing world, from the customer service world, customer support world, brought it into the project management experience. And, and it's as simple as that and as obvious as that, as you said, but it just wasn't a dimension that any of these tools focused on because of a different origin story. Yes. Yes. And again, it's almost taking a B2C aspect that was really worked out and putting it more towards B2B, which is, you know, still they have customer facing, right? But taking the simplicity of that and making it very innovative. How do you handle clients that, okay, you mentioned Asana and they other they have point of sharing storage capacities and they have all these disparate like tech apps to be able to manage a client campaign. And then you have Rocket Lane that apparently is all in one. But what do you do when a company's really invested so much and so many projects into these other apps? Is there a way to work with Rocket Lane with that or is it all encompassing? No, what we've done is, of course, the main project itself is going to run on Rocket Lane. So we help you import, migrate your projects into Rocket Lane. But when it comes to, let's say, the content that goes in, right? What we do is we sort of help you embed your external content as well into Rocket Lane spaces, which is like a way for you to plug and play external content into the Rocket Lane environment. So it still feels part of one portal for the customer. It still unifies and brings everything into one place so that you don't drop the ball. But you could be embedding Google Docs or Office 365 presentations or a Calendly link, whatever it is inside of Rocket Lane so that it's all, you don't lose the benefit of having it all unified in one experience. But at the same time, you're getting the most out of other tools that you invested in from a storage or content perspective. Right. From a communication perspective, yes, you will want to bring all your conversations into Rocket Lane, but guess what? Maybe your team still uses Slack, relies on it for notifications, etc. No worries, Internally. you can integrate. Yeah. yeah. Internally, you can end up integrating Slack on your side. The unique disruption that we bring is a customer can also integrate their Slack into the same project, right? So there's like a multi-sided Slack integration, which is very unique to us, which again is come it's it feels like an obvious thing when you think of it later, but yeah. it's like a feature request for that's been around forever for most products. And they weren't just it's not an obvious thing to do when you're building it for one team. Right. Right, right. That makes sense. What is the what are the areas or the industries that have had the most pent up demand for this type of client onboarding experience? I think we targeted SaaS or you know, tech, B2B tech companies because of our familiarity with that space. But we're also seeing a lot of pull from, interestingly enough, marketing agencies. Someone recently left 
a review on uh, G2 Crowd that, hey, you're short selling yourself by calling it onboarding. We use this for any sort of client facing project delivery, right? So we are running our client projects on Rocket Lane. We always knew that's a use case for us. We just sequenced it as let's first attack an area that we really know then move on to the next use case but then there is some automatic pull from these marketing agencies in right. specific and also some consulting companies and so on yes well i can totally see that marketing agencies the agency life all the deliverables the client expectations compared to <laughs> the client education or lack of education and the roi and all of that um, into one could really help agencies because agency life can be very hard in that particular aspect, right? Especially the client communication. And you said even consulting companies. Yeah. So there's, uh, as an example, there's one of our customers helps companies from LATAM sort of make their way into establish themselves in the US market. So they have a playbook for that, which they want to run in a repeatable fashion with each of their new clients from LATAM. Yes, that makes sense. It makes it very scalable for companies today. But I can see why you did the B2B SaaS market because that's been exploding, right? And I think there is a, a great amount of SaaS fatigue, right? And if these SaaS companies really do not get a handle on client onboarding, this could be very disastrous for them. Do you have any, Absolutely. yeah, do you have any like success stories or anything that you can tell us about? clients using rocket lane and how it like transformed their uh, client onboarding and how this helped them yeah like, sure i think there's, there's, <laughs> there's a ton of uh, you know good names that are using us already including the likes of uh, charge b yellow messenger contract pod mo engage axel data etc one of the things we hear from them of course they talk about the, the whole you know productivity gains because they're teams that were spending an hour every week on status updates on you know an hour every week on putting together new projects etc we do a lot of automation as well in these areas so that's been one benefit that they've had second is of course they are able to hold the customer accountable by establishing that you know visibility the right way and when a project ends earlier especially on for these SaaS companies in a customer onboarding project, if it ends earlier, then you start recognizing revenues from the customer earlier as well, right? So I think if someone is paid for a year of service, they want to get started faster, you actually get them started faster, you make your money from the customer faster too. So that's, again, you know, clear ROI that we're pulling forward revenues. But I think the, the most interesting thing for me that I learned was both small SaaS companies and marketing agencies tell us that the fact that they're using a tool like Rocket Lane to showcase what their post-sale delivery process is going to look like helps them close deals faster, helps mm. them close more deals. Helps them close more deals. That's beautiful. Yes, you can give a prediction. That is one of the biggest things that prospects want to know. How does your process work? What can I expect? Yes. Yeah, and when you showcase more maturity on that front, when you're saying, hey, I'm using software to do this, I don't have like a spreadsheet that I'm going to send your way. I think it just increases the credibility, right? And it, it feels more like, hey, these guys know, these folks know what they're doing. Yes, yes, absolutely. Well, with the SaaS market blowing up, right, and this pent-up demand in the B2B space of really streamlining client onboarding, 
What do you think this whole space of client onboarding is going to look like in the next five to 10 years? Added to that, the intolerance for bad onboarding, for wanting instant gratification by clientele today, right? Brought to us by the likes of Amazon and so forth. What do you think are going to be, what do you think it's going to look like in five to 10 years? What are going to be the challenges and what are going to be the changes? Yeah, I think uh, environments that companies operate with, right? Like when you look at mid-market or enterprise customers, the number of SaaS tools that they're using is only growing right now. And I agree with you that there's going to be some sort of a SaaS fatigue. There are tools coming in which help you sort of weed out tools that are not in use anymore as well. But as these environments get more complex, two things happen. One is there's more focus on automated integration capabilities between tools. And there is the need for clear playbook to work with these you know, larger customers in a consistent way. So I think the integrations are going to get simpler, but they're not going to go away. You still have the need to, in each enterprise or mid-market engagement, figure out what are the specific goals of that company? How do we sort of adapt our playbook for based on those goals and execute to help them succeed? So there is that human element that's always going to be there. But I see probably some elements of intelligence come in. So today, for example, we showcase things like, hey, here are the tasks that you typically run late, right? And here are the tasks where your customers get stuck. Here's the milestone where you're most often delayed so that you can make changes to your process. But think about how if software gets more intelligent, this could also be about saying, hey, while you're executing the project, here are the critical moments of the journey that you need to be careful about, right? And ensure that these things get done on time and showcase that, you know, to the customer as well, right? Right during the kickoff meeting, you're able to present to the customer that, hey, these are the risks. We are not saying this. We know for a fact because that's surfacing up from prior execution. If we don't get these parts done right, we are not going to be able to deliver on time. So I think there is that layer of intelligence that's going to come in which helps streamline things better, keep everyone you know, informed about what's critical to the success of the, these initiatives. And the way I see it, it's not going to remain. I think client onboarding as a category has momentum today and is growing fast. It's probably where customer success was back in 2012-2014. So it's going through that hype cycle and growing. Yeah. But I look at this as a much broader category of customer-facing project delivery. Right. And that's just already such a big category. And I don't see it changing in it's not going to shrink in any way. I think there are more companies, there are more agencies, uh, there are more system integrators, and everyone needs to work together collaboratively. So yeah, I think intercompany collaboration is what I see as the broad category. And onboarding is where we are focused on today and it has certain momentum behind it we love the fact that it's emerging as its own category but i feel it's you know going to merge somewhere into this cross-company collaboration that's really very interesting and, and that is something i do want our listeners to know is that you are branding and disrupting a whole new category of industry right and what makes this its own industry by itself yeah i think uh you know, the, the trend we see is, for example, inside SaaS companies, people 
used to have their solution engineering team or support team do, do the onboarding as well. Later, customer success teams came into place and success teams started doing the onboarding in smaller companies. In bigger companies, you would have professional services teams or implementation teams do that work. But increasingly, what we're seeing is the time when a success team gets split into onboarding and CS is decreasing, right? So it's happening at Series A. It's happening at maybe later Series A or early Series instead of happening after a Series C or Series D as it used to. So in that sense, uh, the function is forming as uh, an important function inside the companies. People are recognizing that hey, onboarding is important. Let's create that as a separate role as early as we can. It helps that companies are able to raise more money earlier so they can actually invest in that function. But that's one thing that's happening. The second is, of course, I think the customer success tooling that people put in place is telling these companies that, hey, where you're actually seeing the problem is right from the start. You didn't onboard them well. So the success tools do the diagnostics and tell you what your problems are. And it's still reactive in a way. So we tend to think of customer success as, as proactive as compared to support. I think true proactiveness is in, in onboarding the customer well. Right? Yeah. That's really come to the fore, I think, over the last few years of like people realizing this from their own metrics and numbers. Yes. This makes me think that it's starting earlier in the process and this becoming way more important is going to bring in a whole influx of jobs. Absolutely. We have a Slack community called preflight.cx, which has more than 1,600 people globally in the roles of you know onboarding, implementation, etc. It's we started this community a little over a year ago. We haven't really, you know, done any paid ads to get these people in. They're just passionate about it. It's farming as its own function and it's growing fast. We conducted the world's first event focused on customer onboarding, a two-day virtual event in March. We had more than 3,000 registrants for the event, right? And and over a thousand people attended and watched it live. Interestingly, and I don't know if the stat can be true. It's hard for me to believe, but like the average viewership was like six hours of content per person across the two days. And that's that's like a huge number for an average. Well, it's a huge number just considering how much people have to do today, right? And that they're that's watching funny. that much content. So it is resonating. It It tells me that there is definitely a pent up demand. Good for you. That's Absolutely. awesome. That's awesome. So, okay. How did you get onto this particular journey? Have you always been looking at things from a very deep dive perspective growing up? Or did it happen by chance? And then one day you thought after your experiences said, that's it, I'm doing something about it. I think it's once a builder, always a builder. My, I started my career in product management because I like that ownership over things, building new things, creating new things. But that's also what's led to the journey into entrepreneurship. Did a first startup, got lucky to have had a good outcome from the first startup. Though we had decent traction in India. We didn't necessarily have a very global, you know, we had two big companies use us globally, even in the last venture, but it wasn't even close to what we've accomplished with Rocket Lane, but we got lucky to have been acquired by a company called Freshworks and that company IPO'd. So we've, we've had a good experience as a founding team, 
which obviously made us think, hey, let's do one more. Especially, you know, we've learned a lot from our Freshworks experience. It was like a SaaS school for us. So we said, hey, the same three of us, let's go out and do one more venture together. And uh, then we started thinking about problems that we could get passionate about. And this happened to be one of those. So I think it was first a decision that we'll do something together and then look for what problems we can solve well, develop a perspective, do our research on the problem. How, how much of a priority is it? Is it? Does it have some momentum behind it? Are boards of companies thinking about it? Are founders caring about the problem? And that's how we came to the problem. That's very cool. What do you think? What are your biggest challenges today? I would say there's in terms of educating the market, I think yeah. while there is some pull, right? This is still a new category, right? And people don't know a product like Rocket Lane exists. Sometimes we tell people, hey, can you introduce me to this company? And the company doesn't want to look at it because they don't know what tools is. they may slot us with another category. There's a category called user onboarding, which is different from customer onboarding, but close enough that people can get confused. So people may think of us as that and say, no, I don't want an intro, right? But when they actually come to us and look at what we do, they're wowed by it. They're like, oh, this is what I was looking for all these years and they buy. So getting in front of those customers is hard because people don't know we exist. Where they're looking for the category, they can see that we are a leader on G2. They're going to come and evaluate. They're going to buy quickly. But yeah, I think a lot of people aren't aware that there are tools like this. Yeah, I think that is very common with most disruptors is the challenge of the education, right? But you've already communicated who the early adopters are. So I'm sure that will spread like wildfire. What do you do? What do you do in your off time? Do you have any crazy passions or hobbies? Or is this such a passion for you that you and your other two co-founders are, you know, working on this morning, noon, and night? I, I do spend most of my time on the startup, definitely. But I like to take some time out every week to play some badminton. I think that's one part of the day where I absolutely don't think about anything else. I'm just in the game. So it's it helps me switch off. For a period of time and the other thing i would say I, I really enjoy doing is chatting with other startups other startup founders so typically every weekend like saturday morning sunday morning having conversations with other founders like in person or virtual or are there certain groups that you join for that there are groups and there are often there are startups which are ahead of us in the journey there are others who are still like founders who are doing this for the first time who may want inputs and I, you know, leave my calendar open. If someone is in Chennai, we can meet in person. If they're not, then of course we can connect remotely over Zoom as well. That's awesome. Okay. So tell me this, how good are you at Batman? <laughs> I have a very competitive set of friends who I play with. So they push me to be better every time. That's good. That's awesome. Well, you're the first person I've heard that that does badminton. I've heard a lot of I've heard a lot of interesting things or sports, but you're the first. So tell um, our listeners how people get a hold of you. I think the easiest way, email sri at rocketlane.com. I'm on Twitter, Sri Krishnan G, S-R-I-K-R-I-S-H-N-A-N-G is my handle. Yeah, those would be the top two ways to get home. Good. And they can also go to rocketlane.com just to check it out, right? Yes, and they will find on rocketland.com a chat widget, which is the previous product we built while at Freshworks, in which my name is going to pop up, but 
the responses are going to come from me or some of my colleagues. So you can chat with us over there as well. Okay, awesome. Shri Krishnan, thank you so much for being on the show today and for telling everybody about client onboarding and the new segment of the industry that you're disrupting. Thanks for the opportunity, Carla. You're very welcome. And that's a wrap, everyone. If you learned something today or laughed, go tell someone about this podcast and tell people to go disrupt their markets with some tidbit from the show. Thank you for listening to the Disruption Interruption podcast, where we transform lives, change consumer behavior, alter economics, and never accept the status quo. Ciao for now. Because we live in a highly litigious society, with America being one of the top litigious countries in the world, here's our legal disclaimer. This information is not intended to be a substitute for professional public relations or legal advice. Do not disregard seeking professional legal, healthcare, or financial advice, or delay seeking professional PR or legal advice because of something you have heard here. Contact an attorney to obtain advice on any particular legal situation or problem. Use of this podcast or our website or any of its social media or email links do not create an agency-client relationship between Joto PR and the user.